Well, as was mentioned earlier, our sermon text this morning uh, is the same as the Old Testament reading, which is selections from the book of Proverbs. Uh, They're printed conveniently for you in your bulletin, so I'd encourage you to reference that uh, as we progress through the sermon. Well, the introduction to the book says that Proverbs was written to teach us wisdom or to teach us to live skillfully in the fear of the Lord. Last week, we finished our study of Proverbs chapters 1 to 9. In those chapters, we listened to a wise father urging his young son to embrace wisdom, personified as woman wisdom. Uh, Most of the rest of the book of Proverbs, chapters 10 to 31, uh, consists primarily of these two-line sayings several of which Doug Doug read for us earlier. So Proverbs 10 to 31 uh, does contain a few longer speeches or a few poems, uh, but mostly we get over 500 of these punchy sort of two-line aphorisms. Uh, Sometimes the order of the sayings within the book of Proverbs, so uh, kind of the sayings that are grouped together in a chapter, sometimes the order seems significant and relevant to the meaning of each of the sayings. In other places in Proverbs, the ordering seems somewhat random or disconnected. Uh, And it might seem strange to us that Proverbs is written that way. Uh, But the format, I think, actually makes sense uh, given that Proverbs is intended to teach us wisdom. The beginning of wisdom, we heard in chapter 1 and in chapter 9, is the fear of the Lord. Living skillfully starts with living before God's face with humility and awe and reverence and delight toward Him. But that's not the whole story. You've probably noticed that doing life skillfully doesn't boil down to one trick. You can't be skillful at basketball if you have one shot from one location on the court. You're not truly skillful with an instrument if you can play one song. So too in life, Proverbs would teach us that if we're going to live skillfully in the fear of God, uh, the wisdom that we need is multifaceted. It consists in a collection of different insights. So God willing, the plan for us over the next few weeks is to look at these two-line sayings from chapters 10 to 31, not all of them, but many of them, uh, and we're going to look at them topically, Lord willing. We want to see what Proverbs has to say about how to be wise in various areas of our life. Uh, For example, our finances, our friendships, our work, our families. Uh, This morning, we're looking at the topic of our words or our speech. So God permitting, here's what I want us to do this morning. First, I want us to see one big truth about Proverbs. I'm sorry, from Proverbs about our words. One big truth about our words, followed by four applications of that truth. One big truth, four applications. That will serve as our outline for this morning. So the big truth about our words that I want us to see from Proverbs is that our words are powerful. Our words are powerful. That makes sense, I think, in light of what the Bible says about who we are as human beings. Let me explain. So what we find on the first pages of the Bible is that God, who has existed eternally, created everything that is by his words. 
This is how the Bible starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, and there was. Or, and God said, and it was so. That's the pattern that we see throughout the creation narrative in Genesis chapter 1. God's words literally bring reality into existence. As the story of the Bible unfolds, what we find is that God didn't just create the world by his words. We find that God governs. He upholds and sustains all things that exist by the power of his word. In Hebrews chapter 1, we learn that God the Son upholds all things by the word of his power. It's no exaggeration to say that the words of God are the most powerful force in the universe. That's what the Bible says about God and his words. Well, what about us? Well, you might know that the Bible teaches that human beings are created in or even are created as the image of God. If you are a human being, then you were created to be a miniature or a finite replica, a reflection of what God is like. You were created to be good like God is good. Loving like God is loving. Wise like God is wise. Not in all ways. Not infinite like God is infinite. Not omniscient like God is infinite. But in most ways, many ways, to be an image bearer, a reflection of God. A created, finite picture of the infinite creator, God. Well, because that's the case, just as God's words are powerful to bring reality into existence, so our words are not sovereign. We can't create by fiat, but our words are truly powerful, like God's. Proverbs 18.21 says this. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Throughout the sermon, I'm going to read many of those two-line proverbs that Doug read for us earlier. And when I do, I'm going to try to read them slowly, and I'm going to try to read them twice. One of my professors once said that these sort of two-line sayings are the hard candy of the Bible. I thought that was a really helpful explanation because in order to really get the, the juice, the flavor, you need to suck on them for a little bit. You need time for them just to sit there in your mind. So listen again, Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. If you only remember one of the verses that we talk about this morning, let it be that one. If you've been here in prior weeks, you'll know that death and life in Proverbs refer, refer to much more than just having a pulse, right? Having a heartbeat. Death 
in Proverbs especially, really throughout the Bible, often stands not only for physical death, but for all of the corruption and the destruction and the alienation from God and hostility toward others that sin brings into our lives. And life, it stands for the health and the fullness and the richness of life lived in fellowship with God under his blessing according to his design. In that context, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Peace and discord, love and hostility, effectiveness and frustration, flourishing and corruption, joy and despair, all wrapped up, not entirely, but largely in how we and others use our words. Later this morning, we'll consider the tongue's power to give life and to do good. We'll also see as the sermon progresses much of the damage that the tongue can do as it's used wrongly. Proverbs 10, 14 says this, The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. Listen, if you want to bring ruin to a workplace, ruin to a friendship, ruin to a family, ruin to a nation, ruin to a church's unity, then I have an idea. You should use your words foolishly. Use your words like God's not there. Great, time-tested, biblically uh, approved recipe for ruin. Not approved in the sense of that you should do it, but that it will happen. Words give life. Words bring death. They bring ruin. Words also just help get things done. Proverbs 15.22 says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Think about that. What what do advisors do? Advisors speak true and insightful words that help you shape your plans. Well, Proverbs would say to you, do you want your plans to succeed? Then what you need to do is get many wise advisors around you to shape your plans with their wise words. Words are powerful to cause plans to succeed. Here's another example of the power of words. Proverbs 16, 23. It says, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious or even successful and adds persuasiveness to his lips. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. People do what they do because they believe what they believe. And people believe what they believe because they are persuaded by words. It's said that when Abraham Lincoln met Harriet Beecher Stowe, the author of Uncle Tom's Cabin, which was a novel depicting the brutality of American slavery, it's said that when Lincoln met the author of this novel, that he said to her, so you're the little woman who wrote the book that started this great war. Surely an exaggeration, right? There's more to the Civil War than the writing of a novel, 
But the power of words to persuade pops from that anecdote. Words are powerful to persuade. Death and life are in their power. They make plans successful. They change hearts. That seems to be the big truth that Proverbs holds out to us about our words. Words are powerful, not always in the ways that we intend. I trust that will continue to become clear as we move forward. Since our words are powerful, how should we use them? Four ways that we should use our words if we're to be wise. Four applications of this central truth. First, use your words truthfully. Use your words truthfully. Our words are powerful because we're made in the image of a God whose words are all-powerful. If we're to use our words wisely like God does, then our words must be truthful like God's words are truthful. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Brothers and sisters, isn't this one of the most wonderful things about our God? All his words prove true. When God says that he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, you can bet on it. You can live like it's true. When God says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply, you better believe that when we run after other gods, yes, God has rich mercy for those who are in Christ, but that it will lead to the multiplication of our sorrows. Right? When God says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. We can know that when we come humbly to confess our sins to God, that he's faithful to forgive us because he said so and every word of God proves true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. That's what God's words are like. And Proverbs makes clear that God desires that our words be truthful like God's words are truthful. We're never called to be infallible. We are never uh, told that it's necessarily, necessarily always sinful to be mistaken. Uh, but God does desire that we use our words truthfully. Here's a proverb that sounds really strange to our modern ears. Proverbs 24, 26 says, Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. In the days Proverbs was written, uh, to kiss the lips briefly of someone of the same gender was a socially acceptable, a non-sexual expression of affection and loyalty. So Proverbs seems to be saying, answering someone honestly is an expression of sincere love. Humble, kind honesty is a way to show sincere affection for people, to bless them, to do them good. Well, as you might expect, then dishonesty is the opposite of that. Proverbs 26, 28 says this, a lying tongue 
hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. When I think about the times that I have lied, even just those small lies, I have often felt in the moment like I am lying out of kindness, like I'm lying out of a sincere desire to do what's best. When I have flattered other people in the moment, I feel like I'm being generous and gracious to them. But Proverbs says, no, when you lie, it says you are hating and victimizing. It says when you flatter, you are ruining other people. You are not helping them by telling them nice-sounding things that you don't know are true or that you know are not true. So growing up, I used to play quite a bit of Mario Kart. Mario Kart is a go-kart racing video game. Anyone play any Mario Kart? Amen. Very good. Wonderful. Uh, When you play Mario Kart with multiple people, the TV screen splits, and each player gets a part of the screen, right? So you're, you know, the bottom left corner, or your buddy is the top right corner, let's say. Well, the classic rookie blunder in Mario Kart is to drive looking at the wrong screen. I will not ask for a show of hands for how many have done this. It is surprisingly easy to do, to get mixed up which screen you are, to think that you're the guy in the top right, right? And you are just power drifting around all of these corners. You're killing it. When really, you're the guy in the bottom right, and you're just driving off the cliff on repeat, right? Anyone? I've done it. I've done it. It hurts. You see, if you're misinformed about who you are and about what reality around you is like, you can't drive skillfully, right? You think you're killing it, and you're not. You think it's a right turn, and it's a straight way. Friend, listen, when you lie to someone, when you flatter someone, you're telling them to look at the wrong screen, right? You're telling, hey, this is you. This is reality. My words are a map of reality for you but they're not, right? You are destroying other people's ability to navigate life skillfully when you lie to them, when you flatter them. Brothers and sisters, Proverbs urges us, do not lie. Do not flatter. Do not give compliments which you believe are not true. It's okay to have a gracious take on someone's performance or character, to to extend grace, to highlight what's positive, but don't say things that aren't true, Don't give people a false picture. Don't give encouragement that you don't mean. Don't tell someone that they don't have a problem when you see that they do. That isn't loving. Every word of God proves true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. When I step behind the shield of God's words and I live like they're true, I'm safe. If I lie to you and you step behind the shield of my words, you think you're safe, but you're not. Proverbs is clear that a lying tongue hates its victims. A flattering mouth works ruin. 
Proverbs tells us to speak truthfully lest we hurt others uh, and also to speak truthfully lest we hurt ourselves. Uh, Proverbs 21.6 says, The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Whatever those treasures might be, right? The praise and good opinions of other people, financial gain, escape from difficult circumstances, escape from inconvenience, escape from criticism. The getting of those treasures by a lying tongue is two things. It's a fleeting vapor. That means the treasure you think you're getting, it will be gone when your lie is uncovered. And it's a snare of death. It will lead to lasting pain and destruction. Have you ever lied only to have it blow up in your face? Proverbs tells us God will see to it that our lies do not make us happier in the end. Our words are powerful, and we are called to use them truthfully, honestly. The second way we are called to use our words by Proverbs is thoughtfully. Proverbs calls us to use our words truthfully and to use our words thoughtfully. Uh, It seems like one of the key ingredients in a funny movie or sitcom is a character who says whatever pops into his mind, right? The people who make us laugh are the characters who just start a sentence and don't even know where it's going. They just hope that they find it along the way. We, We enjoy totally unfiltered characters in TV and in movies. They're funny. On TV, they're really funny. In reality... That is an absolute disaster, right? That only works in TV and on movies because the scriptwriters can ignore the relational fallout that comes from failing to think before you speak. Proverbs 12, 18, it says, there's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Friend, can you think of any times that you have stabbed someone with your rash words? I can. Rash or quick and thoughtless words lead to laughs on TV. Rash words lead to wounds and hurt in our lives. Again, dishonest, like dishonest words, rash words don't just threaten to hurt others, they also threaten to hurt us. We don't actually do ourselves any favors by saying everything that we think all the time. It feels good. It feels authentic. But it doesn't serve us. Proverbs 29.20 says this, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Friend, are you hasty in your words? Is it your habit to speak without a filter? Proverbs says that's foolish. It doesn't honor God. It doesn't make you wise. It doesn't bless your neighbor. 
might feel good in the moment, it does not promote your welfare. There, there is, I think, an interesting balance between these first two points, right? Speaking truthfully and speaking thoughtfully. We do want to be thoughtful, but there is the danger of sort of being so thoughtful that we're no longer capable of being transparent, right? That's, that's failing to be truthful as well, right? Proverbs is not saying never be transparent even when you're wrong, right? If there's sin in your heart, what does the Bible tell us to do about our sin? To confess our sins, not pretend that it's not there, not act impulsively on it, but humbly and transparently to confess it, right? That's different than failing to speak thoughtfully. Proverbs is warning us, what Proverbs is warning us against is the ways that the fool's mouth just pours out whatever he thinks like God is not there, right? That's the difference. Are you speaking transparently like God isn't there? Proverbs 15, 28, it says, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Friend, as a, as a general rule, do you pour out or do you ponder? Do you, do you ever ponder the motives and the results of what you're saying? Or do you just kind of pour out whatever comes to mind? Again, Psalm 62, 8 says that it's good to pour out our hearts to God in humility. Proverbs talks about earnest, honest, humble speech between people that love each other, between friends. But Proverbs says it is not good to pour out foolish speech to everyone all the time without thinking. Do we pour out or do we ponder? Proverbs calls us to use our words thoughtfully. And maybe it's because the Lord knows that we're not very good at this, that the third way that Proverbs calls us to use our words is sparingly. We are to use our words uh, truthfully, use our words thoughtfully, use our words sparingly, or maybe speak less than probably we, we want to. One of the truths we've seen regularly throughout Proverbs 1 to 9 is that our lives, our actions, our words, they come from our hearts. We heard again that truth this morning in our New Testament reading, which Jarrett read for us from Matthew chapter 12. The Lord Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. At the center of who we are is a heart, right, that's always worshiping and trusting and loving and hating and planning and desiring. And the words that we speak are the product of what goes on in our hearts. Well, the, the sad news is that our hearts are often full of sin and selfishness. Right? Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so because our hearts are often full of things that are not good, uh, talking a whole lot is usually a recipe for sin. And for foolishness, Proverbs 10, 19, it says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. 
the main point that Proverbs makes about using your words sparingly is actually that it's to your own advantage. The primary person you serve when you speak sparingly, when you restrain your words, the primary person you serve is yourself. Proverbs 13.3 says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. Whoever opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Brothers and sisters, there, there is a place and a time for humility and transparency and comfort and not overthinking. But, but generally speaking, is there a guard on your mouth? Especially concerning how you speak in public, in group settings. Proverbs 17, 27, and 28 says this, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. The next verse says this, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Right, one of the thoughts that often runs through my head in social settings is, Oh no, people think... I'm foolish because I don't have anything to say. I, I think, oh no, I'm in this setting and I sort of can't carry the ball in the conversation and, and people are going to think that I'm foolish. Well, there's something to be said for being able to carry conversation, but Proverbs actually points in the opposite direction, right? It says, actually, your foolishness is more likely to be on display in what you do say than in what you don't say. That's certainly been true of me. Proverbs urges us to use our words sparingly because of how easily we slip into foolish speech. I think Proverbs also uses, urges us to use our words sparingly because listening is better than speaking. Listening is better than speaking. Proverbs 18.15 says this, it says, An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. The ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Friend, when you're in a conversation, what are you seeking? When I'm in a conversation, I usually have some sort of subconscious or conscious goal. Right? Are, are we seeking in the conversation knowledge, maybe by listening and asking questions, or, or mainly, are we seeking to appear knowledgeable? Are you seeking to learn about the other person or the subject at hand, or to help, or are you seeking to see, hear the sound of your own voice, right? What are we seeking? The ear of the wise seeks knowledge. It's not to say there's no place for speaking, obviously, giving a sermon right now. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Friend, what brings you joy? Understanding or talking? In general, are you more eager to understand what other people are saying or to express your own opinion? Here's, here's a litmus test. This is not a law. This is just a litmus test, right? Try to notice whether you are consistently doing more talking than the other people in the conversation. Right? It's, it's not wrong to do that. Someone has to do the most talking, right? So if you're in a conversation with two people, it's very likely that one will do more talking than the other. And that's natural. That's not wrong. But if every single time, or 95% of the time, that you're in a conversation with two people, you do more talking. 
And then you're in a conversation with five people, and you do much more than one-fifth of the talking. And then you're in a conversation with four people, and you do much more than one-fourth of the talking. It's not a law, but that, that could be a sign that you are more interested in expressing your opinion than in understanding. And Proverbs says that that's, that's not wise. Many have reflected that the New Testament book of James bears strong similarities to the book of Proverbs. I can't think of a better way to summarize Proverbs' call to speak sparingly than James' words from James chapter 1, verse 19. He says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. It's corny, but it's absolutely true. God gave us one mouth and two ears. We are wise to use them proportionally. Proverbs reminds us that our words are powerful. It calls us to use our words truthfully, thoughtfully, sparingly. Fourth and finally, Proverbs calls us to use our words, forgive me for putting it like this, grace-givingly. Proverbs calls us to use our words grace-givingly or in a way that gives grace. Proverbs shows us that we have all misused our words And in doing so, Proverbs reveals to us once again that we desperately need grace. We need help and forgiveness and kindness and guidance and correction and encouragement and hope that we don't deserve, right? We need grace. And before we talk about how our words ought to be a source of grace to other people, we need to hear about how the words of our God give grace. See, our biggest problem is not that our words embarrass us or that they hurt others or that they damage our reputation. Our big problem is what Jesus said in our New Testament reading from Matthew 12. He said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Every careless word word we speak. All the rash words, all the gossip, all the lies, all the half-truth, all the angry barbs, all the subtle bragging, all the outright boasting, all the judgmental put-downs, all the irreverence. Friend, think about how you would feel if everything that you've said just in 2023 so far were projected on these screens. If that happened to me, I I would run. I would flee the town, right? Listen, Jesus tells us that we will answer, not to a room of 100 people, but to a holy and righteous God for every careless word we speak on the day of judgment. My friends, that's why it is such wonderful news that the God who would be right to condemn us speaks to us words of grace in the gospel. When Jesus walked on earth 2,000 years ago, he didn't only talk about giving an account on the day of judgment. He did talk quite a lot about that. But more than once, when people would come to Jesus humbly, knowing their need for him, these are the words that Jesus would speak to them. He would say to them, 
your sins are forgiven. And here's why Jesus could say that. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he took on himself the shame and the condemnation that we deserved for our sinful words, right? That scene of people seeing our words and us feeling shame that points to the shame that we would feel if we stood before a holy God in the shame of our sinful words. When Jesus died, he took that shame on himself, So that we might be forgiven. So that we might be pardoned on the day of judgment. Jesus died to take the wrath of God, our shame, God's wrath against us in our sin. God raised Jesus from the dead three days later. And now anyone who will turn from sin to Jesus to trust him will hear these words from him. Your sins are forgiven hear these words from him, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. You'll hear these words from him, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. One of Jesus' followers named Peter, he put it like this, Jesus in John chapter 6 was teaching some things that were very unpopular, and so people who had been following Jesus were leaving By the way, the fact that Jesus' words give grace doesn't mean that they're always the words that we want to hear. Uh, When Jesus asks the disciples, when his teaching causes people to leave, he says, are are you guys going to leave as well? And Peter says this in response. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and the words of Jesus Christ have the power to give eternal life in fellowship with God in the forgiveness of our sins. Friend, if you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not sure whether you have eternal life through faith in the life-giving words of Jesus, Please don't leave here without speaking to someone, any of our members, anyone that you've seen up here, me at the back. Please don't leave without speaking to someone about how you can have the eternal life that comes from from faith in Jesus by his words. So Christian, if that's that's what the words of our God are like, grace-giving, what should our speech be like? as people who are created in his image and being restored into that image as those united to Christ. Our speech should be true. Our speech should be thoughtful. Our speech should be sparing. Our speech should extend grace. The goal of our speech should be to love our neighbor. Proverbs 16, 24, it says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Not just nice words, not just polypositive, everything is awesome words, not flattering words, but gracious words, right? True words that extend help and comfort and kindness, that give the honesty that is a kiss on the lips, right? Gracious words, words that point to the God who is gracious. Proverbs says that they're like sweet honey. They're like life-giving medicine. Proverbs 12, 25, it says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, 
But a good word makes him glad. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Even this past week, I have had anxieties in my heart that were weighing me down. And I've been made glad by the good word of a friend. The reminding me of the God who is good word of a friend. Proverbs 15, 4, it says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Friends, like the Lord Jesus, sometimes we need to speak tough and confronting words. We are rarely in danger of speaking too gently. We are rarely in danger of being too gentle in our tone. It matters not just what you say, but how you say it. Proverbs would urge us to speak gentle, true, thoughtful, loving words in order to give grace, in order to extend help, in order to bless. Let me just share with you some words that I remember, just racking my brain over the past few years, some, some words that I remember receiving that gave me grace. How are you doing? Someone's genuine invitation to open up and be transparent. That gave me grace. How are you doing? I care. I want to hear. You shouldn't have done that. It was spoken in love by someone I knew cared about me. You shouldn't have done that. Those words gave me grace. Those words helped me see more clearly. How about these words? The Lord is faithful and will provide. Those words gave me grace. How about these words? I am praying for you. So is Jesus. Those words have given me grace. Right? You're doing a good job. Right? Not, not all encouragement is flattery. Right? Humble, honest encouragement can be a way to give grace. How about these words? Of course I forgive you. Those words have given me grace. Friend, when, when someone apologizes to you, when they bring their sin to you, forgive them explicitly and clearly with those words, I forgive you. Don't leave them in doubt as to whether you extend grace to them for their sin. Several weeks ago, a friend texted me the words of Psalm 55, 22, when I was going through something difficult. He said, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Those words gave me grace. Brothers and sisters, death and life are in the power of the tongue, the power of words. By his own words in the gospel, God has given us eternal life through Jesus he calls us to imitate him in giving grace to one another with our words and how we speak with one another and in how we speak with the world around us, with those who don't yet know Jesus. Let me close with this. Recently, I saw an advertisement that opens with two men speaking to each other in someone's living room. The first man says to the second, he says, what do you want? It's the beginning of the advertisement. And the second man, he looks perplexed. He's serious. He says, I want a job that I don't hate. I want something to do that matters. 
but I don't know what that thing is. I feel like I want someone to tell me exactly what to do. I want to stop feeling like if I take one more step, I'm just going to fall into a pit forever. And then the first guy cuts him off. He says, oh, I mean, what do you want to eat? And the second guy goes, oh, pad thai. And then the words flash across the screen, need someone else to talk to? And then the name of an online therapy website. Friends, our world, our friends, our neighbors, our families, we need the words of eternal life. And Jesus Christ has them. Let me pray that he would teach us to speak them wisely like he does. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word that gives us grace in Jesus. Thank you for revealing how foolish we have been in our speech. Lord, we confess that we have spoken dishonestly and rashly and hurtfully. Father, thank you that in response to all of our sin, you in turn have spoken words of grace and forgiveness through the Lord Jesus who died and rose to save sinners. God, I pray that if anyone here does not have faith in that Christ, does not yet have eternal life in those words, that you would give them faith, that you would save them through your words. We pray for those of us who do know you. Would you help us to be wise like you in our words? Would you help us to speak truthfully? Help us to speak thoughtfully. Help us to speak sparingly. Help us to speak words that give grace to one another and to those who don't yet know you. Lord, make us eager to speak Jesus Christ's own words uh, of eternal life to those who don't yet know you. Give us wisdom to do this. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.